So we are continuing today our Lenten journey, a visual journey through Lent. Our uh, theme for Lent is worth a thousand words. This is a, uh, a Lenten experience that has been developed. There's actually 10 Presbyterian churches in the Austin area. We're all working on this together. We've created Sunday school for uh, children and student ministries and adults. We're also using this in our small groups, our life groups, as well as our Sunday morning worship experiences. What I want to tell you is that this is really the deadline for getting into a Lenten life group. A lot of what we do together and as a church happens in these small groups. Some people are, are not sure. They've never been a part of a small group like this. They don't know. Lent is the perfect time because it's only a six-week commitment to be a part of one of these learning groups. But today is really the deadline to get into a life group. So if you want to be a part of this Lenten experience, worth a thousand words, if you want to dig deeper into this, I strongly encourage you to uh, stop by the parlor today to sign up or call the church office or go online to sign up to be part of one of these six-week Lenten life groups where you can explore more what it means for you, this worth a thousand words as we do life together here at Westlake Hills Presbyterian Church. Part of our Lenten Thousand Words experience is on social media as well. We've created the hashtag, uh, hashtag 1000 Words Lent, where we're encouraging people from all 10 of these congregations to post pictures. Either you've downloaded or if you've taken yourself onto Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. Here's some of the pictures people have been posting. This last week we talked about wild, and this week we're talking about wonder. And so we're looking for people to post pictures of wild and wonder as we were. And each week there'll be a different theme. We're looking for people to post pictures of what your experience of wild is or what your experience of wonder is. So hashtag Thousand Words Lent on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook, and then we can all share this uh, visual journey through Lent together. Now, if we can go back to the, uh, the picture of wonder there. So our, our image for today that's worth a thousand words is this amazing photograph. I loved it when I saw this. And I, you can't see the little boy's face, but you know his jaw is dropped and his eyes are wide open as he just marvels at this, this scene on, unfolding before him. Things that he's never seen or experienced before. And you just get that sense of being awestruck in the presence of, of this beauty and this mystery and this glory that's right in front of him. And friends, what I want to tell you just in this Lenten series is that this is the experience that God desires for each and every one of us to have in our own lives as well as we behold the wonder, the amazement, the awesomeness of God. There is perhaps no greater example of this than the event that's recorded in Scripture that we refer to as the transfiguration of Jesus. I want to read that. Uh, today we're reading from the Gospel according to Mark. This is recorded in all three of the Synoptic Gospels, but we're going to read from Mark today in the ninth chapter, and I invite you to read along. Let us listen for God's Word to us. After six days... Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. And there he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses, who were talking with Jesus. 
Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say. They were so frightened. Then a cloud appeared and covered them, and a voice came from the cloud. This is my son, whom I love. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus gave them orders not to tell anyone what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, we do give you thanks for the blessing that, that always comes to us in the reading and the hearing of your sacred word. May that word find its home in our hearts. Lord, I pray that your spirit would rest upon me, guiding my thoughts, removing from my lips any words but your own, that with faithfulness and with integrity I might proclaim the wonderful good news of your redeeming love. Amen. You just get that sense of overwhelming awe and wonder that obviously drove the disciples to their knees. Here, Jesus takes his his three BFFs, James, John, Peter, up this mountain alone. And there on this mountainside, something miraculous happens. Something that is is beyond the ability of mere words to describe. And, And the disciples don't quite know what to do with it. There we are told that that Jesus' very appearance is transfigured, is changed. And the glory of God just comes blazing through him. It appears as though that, that ugly old tunic that he wears everywhere he goes and never seems to wash, suddenly it's whiter than white. And with the controversy we've had this week over the dress, whether it's black and blue or gold and white, you know, the scriptures want to be clear, this is a white, whiter than white, an unearthly white robe that Jesus is wearing. And there in his presence are Moses and Elijah, also dazzling with the glory of God. Now, it's no accident that there's Moses and Elijah. Moses, the founder. Elijah, the reformer. And of course, Jesus, the redeemer of the people of God. There together in this glorious and holy and special moment, And the disciples are totally baffled by this. They're driven to their knees, and and Peter, not knowing what to say, says, well, uh, you know, maybe we should create some some shelters here, Um, some memorials, if you were. Which, if you've read the Old Testament, you know that's what they did. Whenever they had a a significant encounter with God, a a significant religious experience, they would build a a memorial. Sometimes they were as simple as a few rocks piled on top of one another on the edge of the Jordan River, or sometimes there were more elaborate shrines like at, at Bethel and Shechem. But they would build these religious memorials to commemorate the spot where something significant happened in the hopes that future generations would not only remember that this thing had taken place, but that they themselves would have a significant encounter with God in that very spot. So the disciples saying, let's, let's codify this. Let's memorialize this. Let's make a big deal out of this. And I love Jesus' responses, nah, let's not. And I love that. Because 
what Jesus is saying is that this is not a lesson to be learned. You know, Jesus did a lot of preaching and teaching. And there are a lot of lessons to be learned through the words of Jesus. He came and taught us the ways of God. He taught us what truth and godliness really is. But on this occasion, that's not what he was about. On this occasion, he was simply offering these disciples a gift, a grace, if you will, an experience of the glory and the wonder of God. And it's okay if they don't fully get it. And it's okay if they don't understand it or have trouble articulating what happened on that mountain. It's okay because this is not a lesson to learn. This is an experience of God to behold. The glory, the majesty, the awesomeness, the wonder of being in the presence of God. The wonder of it all. Some of you perhaps are familiar with the writings of Abraham Heschel, a, uh, probably one of the most influential Jewish theologians of the 20th century. Heschel escaped from Germany literally weeks before uh, World War II broke out. He was smuggled out by friends. Uh, the rest of his family were all killed, either fighting or in the concentration camps. Uh, but he got out with the help of friends, made his way to New York, and he spent the rest of his career teaching at the American Jewish Seminary in New York City where he became a very influential author, theologian, and teacher. He taught uh, Jewish ethics and mysticism. Well, in one of the uh, spiritual anthologies of his uh, writings called I Ask for Wonder, came across these two amazing quotes I want to share with you today. First one, Heschel said, Never once in my life did I ask God for success or wisdom or power or fame. I asked for wonder. And he gave it to me. Wow. I read that and I, I got to admit, I kind of stood convicted. And I think many of us do. We go to God with all sorts of requests. We ask God to do things on our behalf, on the behalf of our friends and family, on behalf of, of those we know who are struggling, who are battling diseases, who need help, encouragement, strength who need protection and blessing. But I admit, it's not often that I go to God asking to be amazed, asking for wonder. And I thought, how different would that be? How might our experience of God in this world be different if every day in our prayers we ask God for wonder? Second quote, our goal should be to live life in radical amazement. Get up in the morning, look at the world in a way that takes nothing for granted. Everything is phenomenal. Everything is incredible. Never treat life casually. And here's the great, to be spiritual is to be amazed. How often have we lost that sense of amazement? We've given in to a, a religious a uh, 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 way of being that's, that's all about keeping the rules and it's about decorum and it's about memorials and traditions and rituals. But Heschel says to be spiritual is to be amazed, to every day be filled with the wonder of God's grace and glory. 
My parents, many of you know, live in an assisted living and nursing home up in the Dallas area. And at this point in their life, they spend a lot of their time watching television. And they have really three shows that they care about. Jeopardy, the Tennis Channel, and the Weather Channel. (laughs) Although they never go outside. They like the Weather Channel. (laughs) Well, those of you who know the Weather Channel know that there are two rock stars on the Weather Channel. One is Al Roker, and he stays in the studio. And the other is Jim Cantore. And Jim Cantore is the guy in the field. If there's a hurricane, Jim's in the middle of it getting blown away. If there's a flash flood, Jim is wet. And over the last month or two, Jim has like been permanently stationed up in New England during this one blizzard after another after another. Half the time they cut to Jim Cantore and you can't even see him. You can hear his voice, but he's somewhere in that white blizzard out there. Well, Jim Cantore, last week, Sunday or Monday had an experience while he's out in the field making one more report about being in the blizzard, something he had never experienced before that shook him up, and it's called thunder snow. And they caught it. He was live doing a live spot on it snowing when suddenly he had this majestic, glorious experience. We have the clip on that, Tom? Oh, yes! 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 We got it, baby! We got it! We got it! Woo! Woo! We got it! Yes! Listen to that! Listen to that! Oh, baby! That's what I'm talking about! This guy's a professional. He's been in blizzards his whole life. And suddenly, something out of the ordinary happened that he was filled with this sense of glory and wonder and amazement, and it all became a life for him, and he went dancing in the snow. How many days did you go to work and end up dancing on your desk because something amazing happened? God wants our days to be filled with wonder. God wants our hearts to be filled with an, just an amazement of how awesome and glorious God is and to behold the creation's and the wonder of God that that we all have in our lives. But you know, something happens to us in life where our hearts become calloused, if you will, to the wonder of God. Calloused to the glory and the mystery and the amazement that's all around us. There are barriers to wonder that we all experience. Things like fear and anxiety and cynicism, defeatism. Sometimes it's the depression of that day-to-day routine. These are barriers to beholding the wonder of God. But we do not have to live with calloused hearts. Any of y'all been to Scotland, to the Iona community? Iona is an ecumenical monastery on the Scottish uh, island of Argyle. Uh, its tradition, uh, heritage, goes back to the early days when uh, Roman Catholic uh, missionaries first brought the faith to the isles there. And now it's an ecumenical community, beautiful place of, of Celtic tradition and Celtic music. Well, in Celtic spirituality, 
they have uh, a thing they talk about called thin places. Have you heard of thin places? Thin places are, are places where the, the, the barrier between heaven and earth is thin. Where the distinction between the profane and the sacred, between God and humanity, is, is worn away. It's, it's like looking through the, the most sheer muslin cloth where you can see the other side. It's like you could almost touch the edge of heaven. These thin places where the presence of God hangs heavy in the air. And you can't go to these places without being caught up in the presence and the glory of God. And many people claim Iona is one of these places that when you go there, you just are caught up in this experience of God. Some people say that uh, the, the garden outside of Jerusalem where Jesus spent the night in prayer before he was arrested and crucified is, is one of these thin places where heaven and earth kind of come together. Some people claim that Sedona, Arizona is a thin place. There are others who say that even our own Mo Ranch right there in Hunt, Texas is for some people a, a thin place where, where God bends close to the earth and you just have this, this overwhelming sense of wonder and glory and majesty of God. Well, the author and theologian Marcus Borg reminds us that thin places, places where we encounter the glory of God, are not just geographical locations. He says that Jesus Christ was the embodiment of a thin place. That it is through Jesus more than any place or anyone or anything else. It is through Jesus that what is divine and what is human came so close together. Heaven and earth, the breaking in of the kingdom of God into our everyday lives occurred in Jesus Christ in a unique experience of the transparency of God that, if nothing else, should drive us to our knees and wonder at the glory of God in Jesus Christ. But he also says that this thin place between heaven and earth is not limited to the historical Jesus. That God blesses each and every one of us with opportunities and moments and experiences of thin place. He says it often happens in, in life experiences like giving birth and dying. It happens in, in mo moments of, of great tragedy and loss, as well as in moments of, of redemption and salvation. Moments of, of second chances and new life. When there is a way forward, when there appear to be nothing but a wall. Those moments in our life that are hard to describe, but when you're in that moment, you know that God is there with you. The presence of God hangs heavy in the air, and you can do nothing but drop your jaw and open your eyes and behold the wonder of God. Friends, in the coming weeks, during this Lenten journey, I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to be alert, to be attentive, for those thin places in your life. Whether they're a geographical place or whether they're a person or a moment, an experience 
that you have where the glory of God shines through, where the presence of God permeates the air around you, where you can do nothing but in awe and wonder declare the glory of God. That, my friends, is God's gift to us if we will but pay attention and receive the blessing. Amen.